Is anyone going to see Blue Beetle in theaters? No. I, I probably will not. I want to see it. It's getting good reviews. Yeah, I do want to see it. I yeah, just don't know. I, if I just think it, by the time I get around, because, I mean, I haven't even seen Oppenheimer yet. Me either. I haven't and either, I, and I want to. And before I go see Oppenheimer, I want to go see The Last Voyage of the Demeter. I want to see that, too. God, that looks good. It does. And I hear it's very good. Yeah. I haven't even seen the preview for that. What is that? That, you know how at the uh, early on in the in the uh, Bram Stoker Dracula story, Dracula travels from his homeland to London yeah. via ship, and, the, and he, decim- he just, you know, obliterates the crew? Yeah. Well, this is the story of that voyage. Oh, that sounds awesome. It does, and it looks amazing. They actually built the ship. That's what I, oh, really? I'm blown. Yeah, I was watching a making of video of it, and they actually built the ship out in the harbor so that and and like actually used uh, vintage wood for it, you know. So and and you know like found items so that it would you'd feel the age of it. Uh, it's just it, a really rather a spectacular production. It looks like. Yeah, I definitely want to see and that. And I feel one. like it's only going to be in theaters for like half a minute, so I feel like I've got to see that. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. Yeah. But okay. look, is... horror movies are so good in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. They just become so immersive. But you can't escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't say, well, let me pause this for a moment. Go I, um, <laughs> yeah. I went and saw Talk to Me recently. So it's the last time we talked to me. It's the new horror movie from A24. Oh, okay. Um, you know, they do Midsummer and Witch and all those like artsy horror films. Yeah. Talk like to me is A twenty four is the same company that did uh everything everywhere all at once. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me is is really, really good. It is also just very unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> um in like the best possible way. Uh-huh. Um you know, it's it's very creepy. It it is it's funny because it's like there's only a few scenes, violent scenes in the movie, but they are harshly violent, like so out of left field violent um, that they just take you off guard. It is it. I, I think it's a fantastic film. Hmm. Um, so it's a good time for horror. I mean, I definitely want to see Demeter. Um, I'm sure there's more coming. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing we've watched, we've uh, uh, finished Secret Wars, which was horrible. And then we uh, been, we've been binging Lower Decks and watch the unbearable weight of massive talent oh yeah i saw that that was just so it was so fun i um with ahsoka coming up and we'll rehab this conversation on star wars with Aaron and polly um i i realized jen had never seen obi-wan so we we binge watched that this week and she truly enjoyed it to the point that we we started it one night and watched two episodes and the next night we saw four episodes on the other four I'm kind of curious because, you know, I watched that week to week, and there were times where I was really frustrated. I wonder, so tell me, Paul, does it watch better binged like you did? It does. It does watch better binged. It's still very much, um, like, knowing what's coming Mm -hmm. makes the first episode a little bit more bearable, right? Because the first episode's very slow, I find, or I found the first time. And I, I kind of found that, you know, watching it, I'm like, okay, I know this gets better in, in episode three. As soon as Darth Vader pops up, it's like, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's really the, the first two episodes are really where, I, for me, the struggles. Once it hit episode three, the series just took off like a rocket, and I now, appreciate it from there. Did, did it bother you the way it still bothers me that Obi-Wan steals office supplies? <laughs> 
He just he just takes a little off the top and feeds uh-huh. a little horse every, thing. every time, every yeah. day. I mean that shit adds up, Obi Wan. It does. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I still feel like it should have instead been a movie instead of a series, and edited to be more focused and condensed. I agree, but I think that'll that a lot of TV yeah. shows nowadays. So, Paul, you were talking about A twenty four. And yes. they've, they've become kind of my new favorite studio because mm-hmm. uh, they're just releasing so many high-quality projects. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, but they are re-releasing for like a couple of nights only uh, the Talking Heads Stop Making Sense concert video. I, 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 was, I, I did see that. Like upgraded to 4K, the whole schmear. It's going to be an IMAX. Uh, I, I, you're a Talking Heads fan, aren't you? Yeah, I enjoyed that. I, I, I'm going to find time to go to the theaters and see that. I, I, it has been, God, 30 years <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since I watched that, that movie. Uh, well, Aaron, did you, um, did you see what else is being upgraded to 4K and being re-released in theaters? Uh, Predator, uh, uh, Prey, right? Oh no, but that's cool. That no, is, but yeah, I, they're releasing that on Blu-ray. Yeah. No, um, what's 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 being re-released in theaters, Aaron, is Super Mario Brothers, starring oh, Bob Hoskins and John Lake. I saw that. I have no <laughs> idea why they're doing it. Wow. I, I think they're trying to to, to, to take yeah. advantage of the of the nostalgia because I mean, the Super Mario Brothers animated movie, you know, number one huge. movie of the year. I think yeah, it was huge. But or but maybe it's still. because the strike is going and they can do that without <laughs> without screwing anybody. It's not like Bob Hoskins can do uh, a right yeah. movie. Poor Bob. Poor Bob. This is Wayne. Oh my gosh, we have been away so very long. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to yeah. be back, ish. Ish. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we, we never really went away. If you, you know, if you listen to everything that we put out, you know, we've had Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. We've had our new Star Wars podcast that we kicked off. Um, so there is no shortage of content in our RSS feed. But we haven't talked about comic books in a few weeks. It's been it's been a little bit. Because yeah. even in our last Star Trek episode, we didn't have new Star Trek comics to talk about. So, yeah, it's been uh, at least two weeks, three weeks maybe, since we've talked about uh, any kind of comic books on the mic. Mm-hmm. So, very exciting, guys. Very exciting. But I want to kick us off today with a complaint. I know that's a little off-brand. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, I, I, for some reason, this has just started nails on a chalkboard to me. But every time I see an Instagram video come up with some kind of influencer type person who's going to show you a new place, mm-hmm. it's always, I found this hidden gem. And last night I'm, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I found this hidden gem. Okay, first of all, how can it be hidden when it's right there on the main street? You know, they're like, this hidden gem, <laughs> this hidden gem on <laughs> South Cooper Street. And I'm like, how can it be hidden? You can see it from one of the major avenues in town. 
from space, you could see. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, how can it possibly be a hidden gem? Why can't you just say you might not have heard of this restaurant? But hidden gem suggests that, you know, it's tucked away somewhere, you know, that you can't see it. You got to you got to go through a special hidden door like a speakeasy. Right. But no, this is just, you know, there's there's, you know, parking right in front of it off the main street. It's not hidden at all. And that's what they all say. It's always hidden gem. I'm like, that's got to be some, something in the algorithm has yes, got to respond there, to that's hidden what, gem. It just gets your yeah. attention. It gets your attention long enough to watch. Like hidden gem. Out. Oh, I've heard of that place. Yeah. What's hidden about it? Yeah. And then everything you watch the whole is, thing. Everything is always about the algorithm. It mm-hmm. drives me batshit crazy. I'm just saying. This hidden gem that's been in town for 30 years and everybody knows about it. <laughs> Well, what, what we need is our, our listeners to say, I found this hidden gem of a podcast. There you go. There you go. That would be an accurate assessment. We are still a hidden gem <laughs> 14 years <laughs> in. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Hidden, hidden in plain gem, sight. Hidden gem. Hidden in plain sight. Just right there on iTunes. <laughs> um, or Apple Podcasts. Uh-huh. So nearly, Gary, fi- nearly 15 years of content in the feed. In the gym. gym. Yeah. Hidden gem. Uh-huh. Every, any day now, we'll hit it big. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Going to huge. Huge. <laughs> So hidden gems, yeah. I have a hidden gem for you. Guys. You know, I was looking at Disney Plus, just looking at you know the history of things I've watched recently for our conversations today. Um, oh, this is the agenda item surprise news. Surprise news. Wayne, brace yourself. We're about to be surprised. I, I was surprised. Let me, let me say, Paul was. Paul, this should be called Paul was surprised news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you know that the entire run of the 1998 Silver Surfer animated series is on Disney Plus? I did not. I did not know that either. All That's 13 right. episodes. That is huge. I mean, you know, those were done very much in the, um, I don't want to say Kirby style. It's a little bit more like uh, John, I don't, like, Bushima. I don't know. Bushima, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's Sal Bushima, right? Sal, Sal or John. Or John, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, it's, I remember actually enjoying it I, fi- I thought it was a very faithful representation yeah. of the silver surf a little less kid-like than some of the other shows um that came on in the late 90s and yeah all 13 episodes on disney plus right now i almost hung up and started watching them well i i uh i have committed myself to watch season four of star wars rebels before yes. Ahsoka starts next week, so I, I've got to. You have to, Aaron. Everything I, I'm hearing says that. Yeah, well, Dave Filoni told me. Dave Filoni told me. I saw him. He said, "He said, he said, you got to watch season four of Rebels." And so I, that is my commitment. Before I watch Ahsoka, and before we can talk about it on our new hit podcast, Star Wars: Theron and Polly, uh, I've got to watch all of the episodes of season four Star Wars Rebels before I can watch. Star Wars Ahsoka episode one. So well, that's my commitment it, to you. Because uh, Star, Star Wars Ahsoka, which we will be talking about, like Aaron said, on our partner podcast. Uh-huh. You don't like uh-huh. it when I call them sister podcasts. Well, I don't want you gendering our podcast. <laughs> on our other podcast, Star Wars with Aaron and Polly, um, we'll be talking about Ahsoka weekly. Um, but you better hurry because Ahsoka actually premieres this coming Tuesday. That's crazy. As of on, this recording on, on Disney Plus. On Wayne's birthday. I, Actually, thought it were, I thought it was Wednesday. It was. They oh, yeah, bumped, that's right. They, they instead bumped of, it instead up. of doing it Wednesday at midnight, they have now bumped it up to Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So it's Wayne's birthday Eve. Yeah. Yeah. So two episodes will be premiered, which, you know, tells you whenever a show premieres more than one episode. It means, it means the first episode's kind of yeah. boring. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah, it means nothing big happens until that second half of the second episode. Go, so I'm going in with that mindset. I'm very excited. The, you know, they had um, Disney fan events uh, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near me. They, I mean, like they had one at Disneyland, Disney World, New York, you know, all the normal places um, for big events like that. And, uh, you know, fan screenings that you could get into. And people are loving it. They're saying it's very much, uh, you know, I, a couple of them said deliberately paced, which, you know. Kind of goes to our point about the first two episodes coming out at the same time. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're also saying that it's it's very much um, you will love it whether you're a fan of Rebels or not. But if you're a fan of Rebels, it's certainly it, it's basically like Rebels season five is how people are describing it. Interesting. So I'm very excited. Very looking forward very to excited. And I, I think I'm going to churn through uh, Rebels this weekend. So, yeah, yeah I mean, those are like 20 minute episodes, yeah. including the credits. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're you could probably bang that out because I think Rebels season five was only maybe 12 episodes. It was a, it was a shorter season, if I remember correctly. Season four, you mean? Sorry. Yeah. Season yeah. four. Yeah, yeah, that was my that's my plan. I'm going to I'm going to get that done this weekend. My homework, if you will. Do it, do it Aaron. As okay. soon as we hang up, get on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I thought I'd go to the liquor store. After well, we hang up, because yeah. I I have I have tequila concerns, Paul. I have oh. tequila concerns. I I, I I just I don't have enough to get me through the weekend. And here in Texas, you can't buy liquor on a Sunday. So oh, oof, yeah, yeah, better get on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so um, that was our surprise news. That right? was a surprise news. I mean, it was a surprise to me. Yeah, well, I you know it was a surprise to me. I okay. watched Babylon Five: The Road Home, the new animated feature by uh, J. Michael Straczynski. And reuniting all of the surviving cast of Babylon 5 and Paul. It's fantastic. Oh, wow. Good. That's what I want to hear. This is not a spoiler review other than that the movie is so high quality. Uh, It is uh, produced by Warner Brothers Animation. And I'm like, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, this animation is amazing. Why don't they ever do the, uh, the DC shows like this? I mean, there are there are very few of the DC movies that I feel like are animated worth a damn, and you know they just always seem to be done on the cheap. And this was beautiful. Um, and the the actors that they hired to replace those who have passed away uh, all did an amazing job. Uh, I I, w- I was very impressed. And you know when I saw the previews for it and I saw that the character Zathras was in it, I was like, fuck. I hate Zathras. <laughs> and he's great in it. Uh, and, okay. and, you know, so many times in Babylon 5, the humor just was kind of stupid dad jokes and not well delivered. Um, all the uh, Most of the humor in this, I won't say all, but most of the humor in this had me actually laughing out loud. I, I can't get over how strong the directing was, how strong the voice acting was. The animation was terrific. The can't, you know, one of the things that, that frustrates me in other Warner's animation is that the camera doesn't move. And this was very much almost like watching a, a modern Star Trek episode. The camera's moving all the time. Uh, hmm. And I just freaking loved it. Uh, it was so good. And it appears to me that this is the ending of the episode. Again, no spoilers. The ending of the episode seems to set up the new series that JMS has been promising. So uh, I I very much enjoyed this. I highly recommend it. But is whatever it he's coming up right is supposed to be. Sorry, go ahead. Wait. I say, is it set right after the series ended or is it? It is. 
like now years it, later. It is set right after the series ends when uh, John Sheridan is leaving Babylon 5 for the last time to uh, go be president of the, you know, uh, Planetary Alliance or whatever it's called. And then hijinks ensue. Uh, and it's, it, you know, I don't think I'm giving anything away to say that he is, he travels. It's kind of almost like... Uh, uh, All Good Things, the TNG series finale, mm-hmm. where he travels to different eras of Babylon 5 um, and also alternative eras of Babylon 5. Uh, it is really uh, it, it, it is really high paced, high stakes. There is a strong sense of nostalgia. You're like, huh, I miss these characters, uh, but does things on an entirely different level that I don't think Babylon 5 ever really achieved except during the Shadow War and that there is this element of cool through it. I'm like, God, that's cool. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so many times, you know, when I was watching Babylon 5, I'd go, hmm, that could have been really cool. Um, I I just, I feel like it was executed really, really well. So, recommend it. Guys, check it out. Okay. I've been meaning to. I have not yet had a chance, but definitely intend to check it out yeah i never got into the original series so i had i am curious if i could watch it without having watched the original i don't i I gotta tell you i think that it requires an understanding of babylon 5 particularly of the shadow war and everything uh because i i just I, i cannot imagine trying to trying to watch it not understanding all the backstory well you know what that means wayne you got to watch five seasons of Babylon Five. Sorry no, about that. I, Sorry I about that. <laughs> I can't get through a couple episodes of it, so <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. TV seasons were uh, twenty-two episodes. That's right. Too. That's right. Well, the secret to Babylon Five is skipping the first season. Yeah. You, what you do is you watch the the uh, pilot movie, The Gathering, which is good, uh, and then you skip all the rest of season one and you pick up on season two when John Sheridan shows up. Cause sadly the guy who played, uh, uh, commander Sinclair can't act his way out of a paper bag. No, never, never learned how really. No, no was better when they, you know, made him sort of a cameo several times, but, yeah. uh, yeah, but, but there are, you know, the, the, the pro- there are so many problems with Babylon five. Like, uh, it is very much a 90s show with nineties sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't learn the lesson of shows like Star Trek, where you kind of choose classic styles so that they're timeless. Uh, instead, they were very much 90s styles, and poof, it's hard to watch sometimes. <laughs> I think that's my issue with special it. Effects. Right. I think that's my issue, is I never watched it when it was originally out, uh-huh. so I've tried to watch it, like, now. Uh-huh. And uh, it does feel very dated and... Yeah. It just, I just could not get into it. Yeah. Mm. But the, but the Shadow War stuff is great. It is. It is very well done. Yeah. Exactly. Well, guys, you know, it has, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it has been a few weeks since we've spoken about comic books. So we're going to talk about a few weeks worth of comic books. Um, and I don't know when they came out, but they've come out since the last time we spoke. <laughs> so some of them are, I think the only, I think maybe one or two. Are this week's books, some of them may be last week's books, some of them may have been from three weeks ago. Who knows? But we're getting caught up. Uh, and, you know, since the, we last spoke, and there's been like a, a cornucopia of Superman books. Can we, just, can we call this funny books a retrospective? 
<laughs> you know, since we're since we're looking at so so many weeks in the past. Yeah, just imagine just imagine that this is a black and white episode. <laughs> you know, kind of like Clerks. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So you know, th- there were three Superman books that we wanted to to touch on. You know, very very different Superman books. Um, so we had you know a few weeks ago. I think the the oldest one that we're going to talk about is. Superman: The Last Days of Lex Luthor, which is a, uh, I think it's a black label, yeah, DC black label book yep. from Mark Wade and uh, Brian Hitch, who, who, for some reason, Brian Hitch used to not be able to get a book out on time to save his life, and now he's got it, two great big books out at the same time. Yeah, now he's got two oversized uh, books coming out at the same time. So who the hell knows? Well, we've only had one issue of this so far. So <laughs> fair. Well, the second issue is solicited for September, so he he had a. Uh, he gets a, I think I think it's a bi-monthly book. But, well, you know, th- go ahead, guys. Well, I'm uh, curious I, what you thought with Mark Wade back on Superman. Well, you know, I love that it's a black label book, for one, um, for a couple of reasons. One, have you, you know, the proportions uh, on the digital page are different on black label books than the regular weekly DC books. You know, it's kind of that, that you know, big-sized, like a treasury edition kind of thing. Yeah. And it fills up every inch of the screen on my iPad, you know, instead of having those, you know, black bar borders on the side or, or making it bigger to fit the page. I mean, it's just huge on my mm-hmm. iPad, and I love that. Um, I love also that as a black label book, it's essentially an Elseworld style book. It's it's outside of continuity, which has allowed Mark Wade to pick some of his favorite things from Superman continuity. To show us in the book. Yeah, and quite feels, frankly, I'm going to say this is. I'm sorry, Wayne. I didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, you go first. Say it feels very pre-crisis. Superman. It does. Yeah. Well, and, I was going to say for me, it feels like a sequel to Superman Birthright, which was also mm-hmm. Mark Wade. Yeah. Right. You know the the you know super some of Superman's powers um, and his relationship with Lex Luthor feel like things that came out of that book. Yeah. No, I would agree. It does feel like sort of a spiritual successor to to Birthright. Um, I liked, I mean, I think where you, it first really gives you the indication of how much this is outside of continuity and really, uh, you know, pulling things from prior uh, continuities of Superman is when you get to see the, the flashbacks of all the different Lex and Superman conflicts and you see Lex and all of his different outfits you know you've got him in his in his power armor you've got him in his you know high collared uh you know uh, battle suit i just i i love all of that sort of pre-crisis you know sort of looks to the character uh i i, I really enjoyed getting back into that groove and of course this also appears like a superman who has not revealed who he is to lois Right. Um, while we never get a scene with the two of them, when it cuts to Lois in the newsroom, you don't you don't get a sense that she knows who he is. Um, and I, and I, I just yeah, I, that's I, hard to say. For, you yeah, know, it is. I mean, the, it's not a little bit of time you get outside of just the, this main Superman and Lex story. They set up an intriguing status quo. Mm-hmm. But and I'm like, when are we going to revisit that? And we don't yeah. get to. So, you know, Lex Luthor's dying. He needs Superman to save him, you know, and he basically broadcasts the fact that Superman's going to save Lex Luthor's life to the world, just to piss yeah. off the world that Superman's helping the most despicable man. Well, uh-uh. and not just piss off the world. That's what I love about this Lex. 
even dying and his plan to save himself is also a plan to hurt Superman. Yeah. yeah. He's never do one thing when you can do two at the same time. Yeah. And I loved that. I loved that. And I was like, okay, I'm very curious to see what happens with that story. And they just don't pick up on that thread in this issue. Now, this is I don't know how many issues this story is, so I'm sh- I'm sure we will pick back up on it. But if there's one negative I would have to say about this book, it's that it's that they set up this super interesting storyline that um, probably won't pick back up until issue two. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I thought Brian Hitch drew his ass off in this book. Um, I know, Paul, Brian Hitch is hit and miss for you, but I thought he did an amazing job drawing all the settings. Like, for instance, I love the representation of the Bottle City of Candor. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that. I like how they've – this is a new take on Candor yeah. from at least the outside, yeah. where instead of being this tiny bottle, it's more like a tabletop. Yeah. My issues with Brian Hitch are generally proportional, right? Especially when it comes to full page spreads, mm-hmm. his his characters tend to have unusual proportions. There's very little of that in this book. In fact, at times, um, I mean, there's there is some of it. I will say there's a scene where Superman rips open Lex Luthor's robot um, mm-hmm. early in the book. That's a full page spread, and I'm like, Superman's torso seems far too long <laughs> um, or, his, or, or his head seems too small. Like there's something unusual about Superman's proportions on that page. But I, I had to look cause the art style um, for the most, well now I get it. Cause I kept looking at pencils by Brian Hitch. I'm like, this feels a lot like a Kevin Nolan book. Mm-hmm. Kevin Nolan does the inks. Yeah. So th- I'm like, okay, that makes a lot more sense because there's a lot of facial expressions um, and, and art style in this that felt a lot like Kevin Nolan. And I'm like, no, it's a Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch's name is on the cover. Yeah, okay, it makes sense. So, yeah, it, it is very much a uh, an amalgamation of their art styles, I would say. And I like Kevin Nolan quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought this book was great. I, I wasn't really looking forward to reading it. You know, even though it's a Mark Wade book and I, and I love me some Mark Wade, I just like, I don't know what I'm going to think about this. But man, I loved this book. Yeah. I thought it was terrific. Wade, did you love it too? Yeah, I loved it too. I mean, I say it's a, I love these out of continuity, like just a, this is the core of who Superman is kind of stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, this say, I really felt like we fit. had three of those this week. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because uh, we also had Adventures of Superman with John Kent. Uh, the conclusion of that storyline. And, uh, you know, it, I felt like that was obviously it wasn't a Clark Kent Superman book, but very much spoke to the core of the character. Yeah. Yeah. They did what I was kind of knew they would do from the beginning. There was there was one drawback to the story in that it's set between seasons of, you know, injustice. Mm-hmm. So I knew that no real change was going to happen to that world. The, you know, right away, I knew they were going to send Jonathan back before he could actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that is what happened. So that was the only letdown for me, because the story is so good. And I wanted him to be able to actually make a difference. Yeah, I, I agree. I, that is the, the unfortunate issue about that story, is that it doesn't really resolve. Um, but boy, I loved being in that space. And I enjoyed John in that space commenting on everything and you know trying to uh lift people up as opposed to just beating the tar out of them uh i dug it i, I thought i thought it was just a, a a story extremely well told 
well, meh, well told, with the exception of how it resolved, or I should say how it did not resolve. Yeah, it's, I would agree, you know, it's, yeah, um, yeah I mean, we've known from the beginning, like, there's no, there's no real impact to this universe, because even though there's a huge emotional impact mm-hmm. at the end of this book, you know, based on where it's set in the Injustice universe, Superman doesn't change. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, Injustice Superman, still a bad guy after this book, which was a bummer, you know, I mean, I, he, because it, it does have a nice emotional beat and moment, you know, how Connor, and I appreciate that Connor, very, not Connor. John. John, sorry. Yeah. John. Um, John very much is his own Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, he resolved this 100% differently than, uh, than Clark Kent would, you know, Kal-El right. Superman, right. you know, there, there would actually have been a fight at the end. If oh yeah. It was, if it was Kal-El, John, it, well, it, it wouldn't have waited to the end. You would have yeah. had a great big fist fight between the two Supersmen, uh, you know, early on, uh, and you would have had a rematch at the end, uh, versus John, you know, establishing a relationship with, you know, the injustice Superman. Yeah. Uh, and I love, it's not a case of, the end being a fight for him to do what he's trying to do and save them. It's a, he's already done it. And now the fight happens Yeah, because he's not that type of Superman where he, he just would go ahead and do it and then deal with the repercussions. Well, I think that's what I like. John is his own man um, in these books. And it's, I, I, I don't know. I find it refreshing. You know, when, when, yeah, when no, they first, absolutely. when, when Brian Bendis aged up Jonathan, I was very unhappy. I still am. I still don't get me wrong. But I feel like Tom Taylor has really made John Kent um, one of my favorite DC characters, yeah. even as a you know yeah, pseudo adult. I like this new character, but mm. I I I just don't feel like we got to spend near enough time in the space of the young John Kent yeah. as opposed to young adult John Kent. Yeah, I'd agree. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm bummed that it ended on like a weird cliffhanger. Yeah, set, well, just up another thing. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we'll I, find I, out what Beast, you know, Beast World, which is which features, uh, you know, um, Beast Boy Jar, uh, um, Starro in uh, in November, and that's well, written by Tom Taylor. So I predict that the Injustice story will ultimately be a trilogy because I I, I gather this storyline was pretty successful, mm-hmm. and uh, you know DC really likes to draw these things out. So well, and there are still some things that uh, are unanswered. Oh sure, yeah, from this. Like he went there with, uh, you know, with President Superman, and President Superman is now trapped in the, you know, uh, trapped in the Phantom Zone. Mm-hmm. No fair they point. They haven't rescued yeah. him yet. Yep. Yeah. So there's definitely some stuff, some unresolved stuff. I have I I sure, forgot about that. I sure do like President Superman. Mm-hmm. So. Well, okay. One last Superman book. <laughs> Uh, Superman Annual came out last week from Joshua Williamson, who's the current writer on the Superman book. Um, as well as, you know, kind of a murderer's row of artists, including Mahmoud Azrar, Max Rayner, Jack Herbert, Edwin Gammon. Um, now some of them I've heard of, some of them I haven't. But I will say, I picked this book up, and very quickly I realized, wow, I actually am missing my monthly Superman book from Joshua Williamson while this stupid uh, night terrorist thing is going on. Uh-huh. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, this, this is what I've been missing these last two months. Um, I loved this annual. Uh, and I, I truly, you know, we talked recently about the action reporter aspect that they've yeah. been taking with the Daily Press, or excuse me, Daily Planet. I don't mm-hmm. know why I'm using just wrong words today. Yeah, uh, you're having a stroke. 
That, that must be it. I, I, I do smell toast. <laughs> yeah. um, but I really loved it. And I loved the, the, the different, you know, the, that we got to spend time with a number of different reporters um, in this book and just kind of, to, you know, to the point about core concepts, really get to the core of, of a lot of these characters in a way we haven't seen in a little while. Uh, yeah, it, I love Kat. Yeah. You, yeah. The, there is so much to her character, and I've always liked her character. And as usual, I hate Lombard, and they do such a great job of making me really hate him. Well, and I wasn't sure, you know, when we see Kat show up on the page, there's this moment where I'm like, I wonder if her backstory is the same. Because I don't recall having seen her since uh, New 52. And sure enough, you know, her, they while they don't state explicitly what happened, uh, her her son appears to still have died at the hands of Toy Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, they kept that. That That's that's. That's great that they kept her baggage, right? Yeah. Um, that and and what this book reminded me of, not in character but in tone, was the '90s books because everybody has such a unique voice here. We get Lois at her best, Loisness. We get oh, yeah. you know to your point, we get Steve Lombard, we get Cat, we get Jimmy Olsen, and they all feel like just distilled to core concepts and everyone's got so much unique character. And I don't feel like I've really felt that consistently since the nineties run, since the reign of the Superman. I even loved Livewire in this story and parasite. I love parasite. Parasite. I love the parasite story. Yeah, he was great. I enjoyed mercy in this book. Uh, I mean, ever I, I don't think there was a character on the page that I just really wasn't humming to. Uh, I thought this was a, a a superior Superman book, to be perfectly honest. And the the tag at the end with Brainiac and the Doomsday yeah. Dogs. Oh my God! And yes. the and you know his his bottle city of uh, Zarniac or whatever. Uh, Zarnia. It's a, yeah, that's fuck. where the Lobos come, right? Lobos <laughs> yeah. the last Zarnia, yeah. yeah. except he's not. And there's a bottle city full of Lobos? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just just Lobos like, fighting. Like, yeah. sh- like a, just a ton of Lobos constantly fighting. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, this book is great, and I love what it promises. That you know, That's the great thing about annuals. It's not necessarily that they are... You know, just just a preview of what's coming, but they spark another story. Mm. And, you know, this book really filled that niche more so than most annuals ever do. Uh, I I get so frustrated with annuals because back when I was a a young Aaron, uh, I loved annuals. Annuals were always so exciting. Uh, I think some of the best comics I ever read were annuals. And that has been a long time since I've been able to say that. Oh yeah. So this was terrific. I thought this was really well done. I agree. So I'm I and I'm I'm looking forward, you know, Night Terrors is only I think two more weeks. Oh, thank God. And, and then we're, <laughs> we're we're back we're we're back in business, DC Comics. Yeah, the only Night Terrors I read was the Joker one. And I did really enjoy it, but I enjoyed it as a standalone story that uh would have been just as good being a Elseworld story. There was a Superman Night Terrors book this week that the cover looked great. And so I looked at the preview pages and I'm like, oh, well, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I just uh, I have not, uh, you know, I picked up the first few issues of the main core title. It's just not it's just not my jam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, but we're done with Superman books. 
for this. Are we? Are we done? I mean, yeah. For for okay. for now. For now, we're done. Um, let's let's so, hop over to the, uh, the 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 other side of the fence. I have to say that I am in full support of Deadpool's position in this book. The Avenging X Men is a better title. Yes, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just. I, I want to go on record to say that I am a. I would be a fan of Avenging X Men, but even as it is with Uncanny Avengers number one, following up uh, to the events documented in the Fall of X, I gotta say, I really liked this book. I I, uh, I don't know that I love the current Marvel. Can't you know what's going on in the Marvel universe? Right now, with mm-hmm. this whole, you know, the 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 mutants have been exiled to the moon stuff Mars. and Mars, Mars, excuse me, to Mars. To Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, you know, mutants have been exiled to Mars, and there's like this Orcus. Um, you know, I am really enjoying the storyline, knowing that it's not going to be the final status quo. It is yeah. just what is taking us to that status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it was I, I was like, well, I, feel, I haven't I haven't been reading any of the X Men books, like the so, Fall of X and that stuff. Yeah, I hadn't been reading any of them until Fall of X happened, and then I did a couple preview pages and found it really interesting. So I started picking up basically most of the X books through Fall of X, and it one of the things that I like about the X titles when I'm enjoying them is that they are the underdogs fighting back. And that's very much what we have right now. It is a bit too much, and that's why I think it'll take us to a new status quo that will be more what I would enjoy out of the titles. But it's giving us some really interesting takes on characters and story. As Shadowcat in particular, I love what they're doing with Kitty right now and making her far more vicious. Hmm. I um I, I liked some of the so I, I let me say I liked Uncanny Avengers. Obviously, I'm not current on the Marvel universe. Like Ben Urich being the owner of the Daily Bugle was news to me, but I like it. Yeah, that uh, was news to me too. But I enjoyed that I as thought, the. I thought like, Ben was dead. <laughs> I, I, he got better. Okay, I mean, did, did, don't don't I recall that he got? He, he I think got, he did die at some point. Okay, but you know. I mean, yeah. it's comics. Everybody comes back. Yeah. But I just, I was like, I could have sworn Ben was dead, but okay. I liked him as the, like, focal point of the issue, talking about things. Well, it gave it that sense of uh, one of those frontline books, right? I mean, that that was that was where I was like, oh, are are we are we going to be seeing all of this through the eyes of a journalist, right? Uh, and it you know put me in mind of like you know civ- you know frontline civil war. Marvels, uh, yeah, exactly. It was good stuff. I I, I really dug this. I really Again, like the Avenging X Men better title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say Javier Garon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I I know I've seen the name before. I couldn't tell you what book he has previously drawn, but I thought the art was great. He kind Same. of has a very Same. Ed McGuinness style, but not quite without being obnoxious. Yeah, without being obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I, I thought I, there is an Ed McGinnis quality, but he doesn't. He stays on the correct side of the line in yeah. that uh, in that sort of style. I liked it a lot. I, One I, of the I things really, really that really it. surprised me about the book was Captain America. So you come into it, they are assuming that Cap is going to try to stop them because of mm-hmm. you know how how much murdering they're doing, and it is very much a more murdery you know, team than you would expect a Captain America to lead. But he fights fascists. That is what he does. And 
I kind of I really enjoyed the take on it, and that everyone else was kind of surprised that he was putting the team together. His reaction to Deadpool and feeling like uh, responsible and blaming himself for some of the things Deadpool had had to go through, I thought was interesting. Yeah. You know, in the uh, the it's never stated in the book, but there is a character who's one of the Orcus agents. In fact, I, I gather that he's an Orcus officer, white haired, uh, great big authoritative mustache. He looks an awful lot like Thunderbolt Ross to me, but it's never stated. Did you guys pick up on that? I did. I don't know who it is, but I don't think yeah. it is Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, because they kill him. You yeah. know, uh, Psy- Psylocke, uh, you know, slight cuts his throat. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm saying, did, did they just kill, you know, General Ross? <laughs> you yeah. Know? So speaking fine. of General Ross, a book that we weren't going to talk about, I've been reading the uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. the prequel series they've been releasing, mm-hmm. and Thunderbolt Ross is brought up in that one. It's honestly, having this story and that story going at the same time, there's a lot of shades of the same thing going on with the government uh, banning mutants and things. And they go to Thunderbolt Ross in that book to try to get, you know, as one of the leaders of the military. And he actually resigns. And uh, they're like, we didn't think you of all people would be one of the people that would be against this. Mm -hmm. And there's this great moment with Thunderbolt Ross that reminds me of how much I love the character when he's written right. And he's like, I always wondered what I would do if I was asked to do something unethical. And now I know the answer. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting is the, um, you know, Wayne, you had mentioned that that ghost Rider Wolverine crossover weapons of vengeance was good. Yep. And this, same thread, the Orcus thing and you know, the mutants on Mars plays into that as well. So, you know, again, I've been out of the regular Marvel continuity. I think the only books I've really been picking up from Marvel are those out of continuity books by Ron Mars or, or something like that. So it was, it was an interesting, like, double whammy of, okay, Orcus and Mars and mutants, you know, playing into both books. And I didn't expect it in the Ghost Rider Wolverine book um, that it was so closely tied to, to current continuity. But I will say, you know, this book written by Benjamin Percy, at least, you know, I read there's a an alpha book by Benjamin Percy and Jeff Shaw, and then it crosses over into the actual titles. Um, so this week was Ghost Rider number 17. I'm really enjoying this story. Yeah, Wayne. it feels like 90s to me. Yeah, it really feels like a 90, except for it being Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. It feels like a 90s Wolverine and Ghost Rider story. I, I am. I love that vibe of it. I love the flashbacks to their early meetings and seeing the characters in the earlier era. I loved the first issue of they bring this troubled child to Xavier and Xavier's just like, he's not a mutant. I can't help him. Yeah, that was a great scene. You know, and one of the things that excited me so much about this book is you know, obviously one of my favorites and probably most people's favorites Ghost Rider story is that Ghost Rider Wolverine Punisher um, book from from way back yeah. when by Howard Mackey and uh, John Romita Jr. Um, I think they also did a sequel to it. And, you know, when obviously Punisher is off uh, in Weird World right now. Uh, so we just have Ghost Rider and Wolverine. And it, it definitely has the right feel. Um, for that type of story. And yeah, I mean, I, I like how they, they flash back to the Xavier school for, you know, gifted youngsters and, 
and tied into both of the you know the the origin of of um, Ghost Rider at that time. So, I, and, and it's got some great horror elements. Yeah, know, to your like, point about is, being '90s, it's very much like one of those '90s. Like it feels like it's written by Howard Mackey. It's not. It is a straight up horror book, and I find myself shocked at the things they're willing to do on the page. They kill all of the orphans at an orphanage. Yeah, I mean, pretty violently too. It's got a. It's got shades of uh, Ribbon Queen, which we'll talk about here <laughs> in a little bit. Uh, you know, it was a very horrific week in books this week. Uh, you know, a bodily uh, body horror, body mutilation yeah. uh, in, in a number of my books this week. But no, I, I enjoyed this. Weapons of Vengeance. Um, so it's I think it's only four issues, five issues. Um, yeah, there's definitely the next issue is in uh if this one was was this one Ghost Rider or this Wolverine? one was Ghost Rider, so then it goes into Wolverine okay. issue thirty six, yeah. and then there's a Ghost Rider Wolverine Weapons of Vengeance Omega um, book. So only four issues, which is probably the right you know length for the story. It doesn't look like they're going to milk it for too long. So I'm I'm on board for the rest of it. You know, this yeah. is a good recommendation because you know neither of these books am I picking up on the regular, especially in Marvel content you know current continuity. But I really enjoyed the way the story was told. Yeah, I was I thought it was a one shot when I got it. And when I found out it was a crossover, I was a little disappointed. I was going to have to be buying books I don't normally buy, but it's worth it because the story is that good. Yeah. Well, and speaking of great stories, you know, uh, one of the books we haven't talked about, um, you know, over these past few weeks is Ultimate Invasion. Returning back to the Brian Hitchwell, um, <laughs> you know, his second book, yeah. his second book that we read in the last few weeks. Um, you know, we loved the first issue. I. You know, this is – I feel like Jonathan Hickman – and don't get me wrong. Brian Hitch is doing great work in this series. But this is Jonathan Hickman at, at his Jonathan Hickman best. Yeah, he's at his Hickmaniest. Hickmaniest. You know, he's yeah. got his weird science yeah. going on, his science fiction, his time travel, his multiverses and all – you know, his, his you know, character – you know, his um, godlike characters and, and stuff like that. But it, it makes sense, yeah. <laughs> which not every Jonathan Hickman book does. Um, and so I, I really appreciate it. And I'm very curious what they are setting up. It does beg the question because, you know, the maker, also known as the Ultimate Universe Reed Richards, the original Ultimate Universe Reed Richards, has, you know, gone to another Ultimate Universe and is shaping it in the image he desires. And we see him jumping back and forth in time. Uh, like this book kicks off with him manipulating politics on Asgard to put Loki in power and subjugate Thor. Um, I mean, and then smash the Bifrost bridge. Uh, I, I just, I love how calculating he is. There is a part of me that feels like Jonathan Hickman is really sees himself in the role of the maker. Like, these are the things I would do <laughs> were I in charge. You know, where, where, if I had the ability to mold the Marvel Universe in the image that I desire, here's what I'd do. Uh, I do. I kind of read Maker as Jonathan Hickman, um, just knowing the type of stories he enjoys telling. Uh, I There is a terrific point of view character established in uh, this second issue. Uh, you know, we see the ultimate universe Iron Man armor, you know, doing a flyover in midtown Manhattan. And it's not Tony Stark at the wheel. It's Howard Stark. 
and uh, Tony, his son, is present, but he is not yet the head of, of uh, Stark Industries. Uh, it is co-run by Howard Stark and Obadiah Stane, who are both really close friends. And I just really loved the setup. Uh, you know, the all of the heroes that remain that haven't been manipulated out of existence by the maker have been called to the city uh, where the maker has established his stronghold in Latveria. And they've all, you know, the, the city has not been previously open to the public and he has opened, he will be opening the city for, you know, these visiting emissaries. So uh, the technocrat, the billionaire technocrats, Obadiah Stane and Howard Stark are there. Uh, <laughs> this version of the Hulk, I love where essentially the Hulk is a Zen Buddhist master. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I, I I just love it. You've got uh, the Russian mutants are there. You know the the, the Rasputins. Uh, you know uh, magic and Colossus and uh, forget the other guy's name, but you know they're there. I mean just all these different you know clusters of, of power and you know hijinks ensue. And I just freaking love this book i do too it's you know it and it's it's only a four issue series but each issue is oversized right uh-huh. um but like i said i'm very curious like well you know it's setting up something it's I mean, set, yeah i mean yeah, obviously yeah. we know it's setting up the new ultimate universe but i'm like what is you know is howard stark the the ultimate universe um hero you know iron man yeah you know or, or you know it, are we gonna undo you know what comes after this I I'm still think we're going to undo a lot of this and get a brand new status quo. Uh, they've already they're dealing with time machines still. Yeah, true. It was interesting that he doesn't like. Is it a manipulation what he's saying, or does he really not remember how to fix the time machine? You know, was he actually seriously hurt and yeah. is uh, lose missed some of his memories? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I, I just. I just I think the book is so well written. I, I think there are layers and layers here in the plot. Uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. It is so much fun. I've really missed Jonathan Hickman in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, uh, and, and writing so big books in the Marvel Universe yeah. like that. That event, you know, his his Secret Wars, his Avengers yeah. um, books. You know, I miss this Jonathan yeah. Hickman. Same, same. It's good stuff. It's good yeah. stuff, guys. Well, Paul, I uh, I. I uh, co-opted you and Wayne into reading a book with me this week from AWA Studios, uh, a new horror book from Garth Ennis and Jason Burroughs, The Ribbon Queen. Yeah. Uh, tell me what you thought. Well, before we go into the book, you know, one of the things I, you know, Garth Ennis and Jason Burroughs, um, you know, both talents that were very prevalent in the Avatar press days. Avatar press no longer a thing. Um but, you know, books like, I mean, especially Jason Burroughs, he, he, if I remember correctly, Jason Burroughs was the artist on, um, like, Neonomicon mm-hmm. and, and, and books like that from, from Avatar, you know, those, those Cthulhu books. Um, yeah, he, he did. He did Neonomicon and Providence with, uh, with Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. He also was the artist on Crossed with Garth Ennis. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely capable <laughs> of, of doing <laughs> of drawing horrible horrible things uh and what i'm hopeful is you know aaron you know you, you, we have 
we have a a, a a media relationship with with um, AWA. They sent us a preview copy of this book. I did pick it up because I don't always love reading PDFs. Same. Um, Same here. Yeah. So, um, but I'm I'm very curious, and I'll research. I probably should have researched before talking about this book. <laughs> like, that would be so off brand for us. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> um, you know who who's behind AWA? You know, are there some Avatar folks involved in in the um, you know, in the publishing arm of this, I don't know. Uh, but if there are, I would be very curious to see if they pick up some of those books that, um, you know, that Avatar never finished. Things like Uber, like, you know, could could Kieran Gillen ever finish up his Uber book? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stuff like that. Very curious. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. So I was nervous going into this book because, you know, Aaron told us about it, which made me uh, give it a shot. Ennis is one of those creators that... He is really talented, can do some great work, but frequently people are too afraid to be an editor and tell him no. Mm -hmm. And he needs that because a lot of his stories, you mentioned Crossed, for example, are stories that askew the actual storytelling sometimes for shock value. And this was very much not the case. There is a very shocking scene in it, but there is a strong, solid story with real characters that all have personality. And I was just blown away by the book. It is one of those. He is at his best when he has a good team around him and when he has editors that help him keep the reins in and not go for that pure shock value over story. Yeah, I I. I very much enjoyed this book. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, Garth Ennis says in his comments at the back of the book that the Ribbon Queen is a story of twisted wrongdoing and ancient vengeance playing out in modern day New York City against a backdrop of the recent Black Lives Matter and Me Too movements, or perhaps more accurately, of the backlashes against them. And that's what I found so interesting about this book, as in addition to the horrific aspects of it and the tension that's built up, you know, so much of the book takes place in a detective's office and talking about the case. And, you know, it's brightly lit. It's not scary at all, but there is this tone moving through the book where you're like, oh, terrible things are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love the main character's boss in yeah. that he is trying to figure out how to move forward knowing the press nightmare this is going to cause, but he doesn't go to cover up or anything like that. He trusts her and gives her the complete faith and he's not going to cover it up, but he's trying to figure out how can I save some sort of face in this situation because she's going to be right. I am reading a ton of AWA books right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just finished, uh, gosh, I got to look at what the title was again, but, uh, I, I, I've been reading, uh, there's a, they've got a big graphic novel out called Trojan, which is very reminiscent to me of, uh, the world of darkness, uh, role-playing game, uh, changeling, the dreaming, the first edition, Mm. uh, about, you know, fairies living in modern day America and you know what that looks like and how how that impacts them you know and how you know glamour is fading from the world uh really sort of dystopian and dig i mean it's super dark don't get me wrong it is super dark uh and i'm digging the hell out of that book and then uh 
last night I read another one uh, by Mike Diodato and Peter Milligan, and I forget the name of it. I want to say it's called Absolution, but it is fantastic. Uh, I just I'm really enjoying the books that I'm reading from AWA Studios, and my only complaint about AWA is it is super hard to find them on Comixology. It is. I was just looking that up. It is very hard to find them on Comixology. Yeah. They, uh, for whatever reason, their new issues don't show up under publisher. Like if you're sorting by publisher on new comic book day, you don't get an AWA option. And I assume that's a feature that the publishers have to buy. Um, so, you know, you don't get that opportunity. So I always, you know, I, I follow AWA on Instagram and I, I see their new releases pimped there. And so then I'll go into a specific title search in Comixology to find them. But it is really challenging if you're a digital comics reader, as all three of us are, to find their books. And yeah. I, I really wish there was a, a better solution for that. The easiest way to find them is for Aaron to say, hey, this book just came out. Yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> it's to make sure you are listening to this podcast because we'll tell you all about the good ones. Yeah. It really does remind me of when Avatar came out and we were reading some of those books and just shocked by the value that this yeah. smaller company was, uh, you know, was putting into their books, the quality. This is the same thing. It's just that higher level quality of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they really have some superstar talent. Uh, Straczynski's writing over there. Garth yeah. Ennis, you know, Ribbon Queen, uh, you know, Mike Diodato, Peter Milligan, you know, others. I mean, just a lot of really strong talent. You know, the madness that Paul, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago is an AWA book. Yeah. And issue one was fantastic. I cannot wait for issue two of the madness. So, yeah. Me? Anyway, good stuff. Too. Yeah, this was great. Uh, and, you know, to Wayne, I think, uh, you know, to your point about shock value, I feel like this is one of those let's wait and see <laughs> books. I feel like the gore has yet to come. Yeah, yeah no, completely agree. I, that was just a tease. Yeah, for yeah I feel all, like it's going to horror messed up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. But just by the very nature of giving us strong story and characters before the gore showed up. Exactly. Yeah, well, it, it grounds it gives the story. Me yeah, it grounds the story. You you are invested in the people that you're that you're experiencing the horror through. Uh, I I very much appreciated that about Riven Queen. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah, and issue two comes out next week, so Woo-hoo. you can get caught up now. Um, Riven Queen issue two comes out next week. Woohoo! So uh, Ahsoka is coming. It, yeah, Ahsoka uh, comes out. You know, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, next week. Ahsoka issue, or excuse me, episodes one and two coming to Disney Plus, <laughs> and shortly thereafter, you'll be able to hear our discussion about it over there on Star Wars with Aaron and Polly. Uh, super excited about that! But hey, Paul, yes, sir. Other than Ahsoka, what's coming out next week? Well, Ribbon Queen. Um, also, in addition to Ribbon Queen, the conclusion, the cataclysmic conclusion to the best-selling series Dark Knights of Steel from Tom Tom Taylor and I'm Yasmin so far Fudry. behind. I'm well, so far behind. I got to get caught up next week. You got to you got to watch Star Wars Rebels season four, and you got to watch and you got to finish reading Dark Knights of Steel. Damn, I'm on it. I am I am all caught up on my Dark Knights of Steel. So it is it is a great series. I am looking forward to the conclusion. Yeah, I'll just I am sick to work on Monday. <laughs> I am caught up on it as well, Paul. It uh, I missed a few issues and had to pick them back up, mm-hmm. but. So I read the last rounds of them in like big chunks because there was a decent break in there for a yeah, while. Yeah, I feel like uh, they lost a little momentum by not they just did. going straight monthly. 
uh, and taking a break in the middle there and and probably not not every issue being released monthly. So, but I'm I'm looking forward to the conclusion. Anything um, else coming out next week, Paul? Yeah, we also get the newest issue of Batman: The Brave and the Bold. I am the only one reading that, so Ever, no anywhere problem in the there. World. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also from DC Comics get The Penguin issue one, which you know sounds like an odd title for me to mention. Who cares? But this Penguin book is written by Tom King, um, with art by Raphael De La Torre, um, and it's it's I'm I'm curious what uh what Tom King is going to be doing with it, this uh, Penguin miniseries that he's putting together, or if it's uh you know uh, uh, pronounced by Benedict Cumberpatch, it's Penguin. Penguin. Because he can't uh, pronounce penguin. No. <laughs> uh, from Marvel Comics, we get the newest volume of Thor. This one's the Immortal Thor from Al Ewing and Martin Martin Cocolo, um, with covers by Alex Ross. Um, also features a backup bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman. You know, continuing his setup for this upcoming Gods series. Mm-hmm. Um, from IDW, which you'll hear on our other podcast, we get the newest issues of Star Trek and a new miniseries, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Scorpius Run. That's right. Um, and you, you can hear us talk about all of those over at Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. And finally, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I just discovered recently that there is a new Conan book in publication um, from, I think it's called, I think it's Heroic Signatures and Titan Comics. Um, are publishing a new Conan book written by Jim Zub um, with art by Roberto Della Torre. And uh, I, I, I picked it started on free comic book day. The art looks fantastic. I have not read it yet, but issue two comes out next week. So I, I'm going to have to check this book out and see if it's uh, if I'm digging it. But it, it's kind of, I mean, I, who knew, you know, Marvel was publishing Conan up until recently. And the, the, the current rights are, are with this uh, Titan Comics. Hmm. So I'm going to check cool. out the, the cover by issue one for issue one was by Mike Mignola. So they're they're, they're I mean, it seems like they're really going all in on this uh, Conan book. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about this week's books, what you thought about uh, Ribbon Queen. You got to check that stuff out. Give us a shout at funnybooks at iomgeek.com. And if we use your comment on a future show, you could win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media. I O M Geek on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Threads. And it's also called X. Or X. <laughs> <laughs> also All Triple right. X. You can hit us up on TripleX.com. All right, guys. Well, it was great to get back in the treehouse and talk to you guys about comic books this week. Uh, it's been a while. I think we, we have some great recommendations for folks. So uh, go check those books out, and we will see you here next time. Catch you later. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.